Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. I'm so thankful that you're in our listening audience today. If you are a listener of Words of Grace regularly, or perhaps you've only listened one or two times, I'd love to hear from you. I'm thankful for each and every correspondence that I receive from our listeners. Even if you're right, let me know that you don't agree with me on a subject. I'm just thankful that you're there. If I prompted you to think about something, and maybe you are more convinced of your opinion than you were before you heard my broadcast, then, hey, we're all thinking about the Word of God here, and if I could be a part of your thought process as you attempt to do what we all attempt to do and understand God's Word, I'm thankful for that. I'd love to hear from you. You can go to our church website, flintriverpbc.org, and you can find a variety of ways to contact us. Our mailing address here at Flint River Church, my email address, as well as ways to call us or find us on social media. Speaking of social media, we had a wonderful association. The 2023 session of the Flint River Association of Primitive Baptists was just a weekend ago, and all of the messages were live-streamed on our church's Facebook page. You can go to facebook.com slash Church and go back into our video archive and watch those sermons. Or you can also go to the YouTube channel for MarchToZion.com, and there at the MarchToZion.com YouTube channel, you can watch those sermons as well, in addition to all of the recent messages that we have delivered at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church. Our broadcast today is entitled, The Value of Hope, and this message will come from the book of Romans chapter 8, primarily. I had this thought recently as I was considering the average perspective of many Americans, many people who live in our country, many people who have to face the same sort of battles that you and I all have to face in our personal lives, the things that might be facing us as a country, the mental health crisis that is raging in our country today. We really live in a world, particularly in the United States at present, where hopelessness seems to be the common mentality. We are often hopeless, and there's a variety of causes for this. Maybe you're stuck in a relationship that you can't get out of, and you think the situation hopeless. Maybe you're facing a chronic illness, and there's no cure for it. Maybe This illness is threatening to take your life, and that causes you to be hopeless. Maybe you're a person who's young, and you look at the fact that the price of houses is now eight times the average salary in our country, and you wonder how in the world you're going to be able to ever leave your parents' home and live on your own, the American dream, as we all have come to call it. You might view that and think this is a hopeless situation. You might look at the troubles on the other side of the world in Russia and the Ukraine and the threats from China and North Korea. You might look at all of that in light of our own government and the decisions of our government and think that we are nigh unto World War III, the reinstitution of the draft, sending our young men overseas to fight and potentially lose their lives in a war, and that might cause you 
to experience hopelessness. If you and I look around the world around us, there are plenty of reasons that if we view creation from the carnal perspective, if we look at it through the deceitfulness of our own hearts, if we look at it through what we understand with our eyes, disconnected from the reality of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, the sovereignty of God— Honestly, we would have plenty of reason just to throw our hands up in the air and say, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. It really would be a hopeless thing to look at the situation outside of our awareness of God and who he is. In light of that, I want to take you through a brief exposition of the book of Romans chapter 8 and share some thoughts with you today on Words of Grace about the value of hope. When things are terrible around us, hope is something that actually, as we will see in this chapter together today, hope is something that delivers us. We are saved by hope in the face of all of the various types of suffering that you and I might face in this world. So turning to Romans chapter 8, the first thing that we'll point out is that it's interesting that the context leading up to this chapter, Romans chapter 8, is also connected with the thought of hopelessness. Now, if you're a Bible reader, you know that Romans chapter 8 is one of the richest chapters, both about our salvation from sin and the fact that because of what God has done for us, we are more than conquerors, even in the worst of things that can happen to us, which would be death, because Christ loves us. We have eventual, ultimate deliverance that is so great that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's revealed in us. You probably know some of the passages that we're going to look at in Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? This is a beautiful chapter. But we fail to understand sometimes that the backdrop to this chapter is suffering, and suffering often leads us to experience hopelessness. So if you feel hopeless at times, if you think there's no hope, if you struggle with your own sinfulness or the troubles of this world, you should understand that Romans chapter 8 is the passage for you. What leads up to this beautiful chapter about victory and deliverance despite the sufferings of this world is actually a lesson that perhaps implies a degree of hopelessness in the Apostle Paul's own experience, not because of his circumstance, but because of his sinfulness. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says in verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, what I want to do, that is, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. He says in verse 18, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He says in verse 19, the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. In verse 21, he says it is a law that when he would do good, evil is present with him. And so he comes to the conclusion of this chapter and he exclaims, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What does that sound like to you? That sounds like a man that has experienced some degree of hopelessness over his own sinful inclinations, his own sinful desires. And I hope that in your heart you can sympathize with him. 
I hope that this experience that Paul has had is an experience that you have had, because if so, the message that we share with you today about the finished work of Christ, the fact that God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is working on your behalf, I hope that message will give you hope against hopelessness. I hope that you will find deliverance from your hopelessness through hope that would enable you to endure all afflictions here in this world. What is the solution to the hopelessness that Paul experienced here in Romans chapter 7? Well, look at verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so with his mind, he then serves the law of God, and he acknowledges with his flesh he serves the law of sin. Paul still struggled with sin. Being a person who desires to live holy, to live in a holy way, when we make sinful mistakes, that really creates in us a spirit of despair as children of God. The law of God is written on our heart. The law of God is written on our minds. But we still have the flesh which causes us to sin, this nature of the flesh, and that makes us feel depressed and hopeless. This seventh chapter of Romans leads us to beautiful language regarding our lack of condemnation in chapter 8. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is no condemnation for those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Zero condemnation. You feel condemned in your heart. That might make you feel hopeless, but the gospel is a medicine that treats this hopelessness. You have full deliverance from your sin through Christ Jesus forever. He has forever perfected them that are sanctified, and because of that, we have no condemnation. Now, this expression, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, I don't take this as a practical statement regarding following the leadership of the Spirit. In other words, put it a different way, I don't think Paul is saying that you have to fully follow the Spirit in every avenue of your life to be a person that has no condemnation. And I don't take this to be a practical lesson about the destructive tendencies of sin if you don't follow the leadership of the Spirit. I believe this is more of a positional statement referring to the fact that we are born of the Spirit of God and at the same time being born of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and the Holy Spirit certainly does influence us and affect our lives. But those which walk after the Spirit are clearly, through the rest of this chapter, those who are born again. And so to walk after the Spirit is the same as to be born of the Spirit to be a person who's born of God, to be a person who is a child of God. Notice this as we just quickly look through this chapter. Verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Again, I don't take that as a practical statement, but more of a positional statement. If I am yet in my sins, and the only mind that I have is a carnal mind, I'm dead in trespasses and in sins. I am dead. But To be spiritually minded, to have a mind that is influenced by the Holy Spirit because the law of God has been written on my heart in the new birth, well, that is life. That is peace. I'm at peace with God, and I'm a possessor of eternal life. That's what happens when you're quickened, according to Hebrews chapter 8. The Spirit of God writes the law of God upon your heart and upon your mind. According to Ephesians 2, 
you were dead in trespasses and in sins, wherein you walked according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's the leadership in the life of the children of disobedience. But now you are saved by grace. You are alive in Christ. You believe according to the working of the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That is to say, God's resurrecting power has quickened you when you were dead in trespasses and in sins, and that's why you know God. That's why you believe in His Son, Jesus. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, that is to say the unregenerate, cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. So he clearly defines what he means by being in the Spirit, possessing the Spirit, to be spiritually minded, and walking after the Spirit. He's referring to someone who is born of the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God be in you, you're a born-again person, you're saved, you will not experience condemnation, you know him. Conversely, those that are only in the flesh, the carnally-minded, they can't please God, and they are condemned. Now, if any man have not the Spirit, according to this ninth verse in Romans chapter 8, then he is none of his. He doesn't belong to him. He's at least not born of God if he does not possess the Spirit of God in his heart. So we can learn from that, that every born-again person possesses the Holy Spirit inside them. As Galatians 4 says, the Spirit of God's Son has been sent into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We are people who have been born of the Spirit The Spirit lives within us if we are saved people. That's what happens at salvation. We have the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. We are quickened. We are made to be alive in Christ, and Christ is alive in us. Verse 10, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Skip down and look at verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so if you are led by the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God lives in you, then you are a son of God. Not the Son of God, not God's eternal Son, but you are a son of God. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. We are his children in the sense that we are born of him and We are his children in the sense that we are adopted. In verse 15, we read that we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In verse 16, we read that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We have assurance that we belong to the Lord through the Holy Spirit living within us. These are beautiful, beautiful passages of Scripture. Now, we come to verse 18. And this brings us to the concept of suffering. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be, which shall be revealed in us. Previously, struggles with sin had been mentioned. That can cause us to be hopeless. Now, Paul breaches the subject of suffering in this world. Suffering also can cause us to feel hopeless. And we all suffer. In fact, sufferings, according to Paul, to the Corinthians, temptations, as it were, are common to man. And there are many causes of suffering in this world. We all suffer because of the sin of Adam. That is the root of all suffering. Sometimes we suffer chastening because we do that which is wrong. 
Sometimes we suffer because we make foolish decisions. We suffer the consequences of our actions. Sometimes we suffer because of the sin of others. Sometimes we suffer persecution. Sometimes we suffer for special purposes, for the glory of God, like Lazarus or the man that was born blind. The causes of suffering are diverse, but one thing that is true that we all certainly know, sufferings fill this planet. They are common to man. We all face illnesses. We all face pain. We all lose people that we love. We might fall victim to accidents. We may very well face abuse from evil men, tyrannical regimes, or unbelievers. More and more people in our country today are facing financial hardships. We are really in a mess, and it doesn't appear to be something with a quick fix. A simple change in administration in Washington is not going to immediately fix anything because there are decades of mistakes and bad policies that led us to the place that we're at when the average person can't just get a job and buy a home the way our grandparents could. All of this creates stress and could very well lead to homelessness or hunger in a person's life, and that causes us to experience, say it with me, hopelessness. You and I, many times in this world, because of the scenarios and situations that we see or experience, we have the tendency to, at times, feel hopeless. Paul here, in verse 18, says the sufferings, all the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This sets up a series of statements about the condition of life here in the world. As a little bit of a disclaimer, verses 19 through 22 are not well agreed upon by preachers. Let me read those. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. I have a lot of preacher friends, and among them there are several views held about these particular passages. And as a person who loves commentaries, I have dug into many of the commentaries in my library to consult men of yesteryear about these passages, and verse 20 in particular, what does it mean that the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope? I looked in Albert Barnes, I looked in John Gill, I looked in John Trapp, I looked in Joel Beakey, and others. This verse has been applied to Adam, it's been applied to humanity, it's been applied to born-again people among humanity, it has been applied to the Gentiles, it has been applied to the church in the world, and I even read one man who gave it an application connected with the resurrection and glorification. So because of that, I'll not get deep in application on that passage, but I'll just say this. It's obvious that Paul is describing present suffering. Now, the identity of creature here, is it a born-again person? Is it your spiritual nature within you as a born-again person? There are many different opinions, and frankly, we should bear along with each other on it. But we can all agree, Paul is describing suffering here. And this is quite telling. Think about it. 
Suffering is so common and varied that a passage on it would result in so many different opinions and so many different applications. Look at verse 22, though. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The whole creation groans and travails in pain. Personally, I do apply this to everything around us. This is, in contrast, the whole creation with the creature which was made subject to vanity in the verses that had gone before. The world groans under sin, its effects and the curses that sin brought about. We live in a broken world. And so because of that, everything around us is just groaning in sin. What would be another word for that? Well, hopelessness would be a word for that. And here we have our verse, verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for it? Paul says here that we are saved by hope. Rather than being hopeless in the face of terrible situations, God's Word would call upon us to have hope, and this hope that we have saves us, delivers us from despair in our moments of suffering. To be very clear about verse 24 and being saved by hope, this is a here and now text. This isn't saying that we're regenerated by hope. It's not saying that we are delivered for eternity or in eternity by hope. This hope is something we do while we await Christ's coming. After all, if this had reference to something in eternity— We don't hope in eternity. We see. Why do you hope for something that you see? This is clearly talking about the born-again person and how they can be delivered from despair, saved from despair through the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. This is something we do while we await the second coming of Christ. Let me give you a little bit of a clarification. When people in our country today use the word hope, they often have reference to something that is a wish or a pipe dream. Obviously, Paul means something more than that when he says the word hope. This hope that we have is an earnest expectation of deliverance to a place without suffering, a place where the glory is so great that all of the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with it. That's what Paul says when he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That word reckon is not a southern term in the King James Bible. It's an accountant's term. He tabulates. He calculates. And he says that all of the suffering of this present time, tabulated and added together, it's not worthy to even be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now, if you believe that, if you understand that, What's that going to do to you in your moment of affliction? Well, that hope is going to save you. It's going to deliver you. It's going to enable you to endure and not to fall to sorrow beyond measure and hopelessness. Now, regarding hope, and just briefly, number one, Christ is the hope of glory. Our hope is rooted in Christ. Christ is the object of our faith. Christ is the object of our hope. Christ is the hope of glory. Number two, according to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So hope is a result of faith, faith which is authored and finished in us by Christ. In fact, the best definition of faith I've ever read among the historic Baptists 
is that faith is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so what we do by faith, we do by the power of Christ in us. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without Christ in you, it's impossible to please God. All that you do by faith, you do by the power of Christ in you. And so I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, and I am to do all things how? I'm to do all things by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, so our hope is a result of faith, which is authored and finished in us by Christ. And number three, our hope is in what Christ shall do with us and for us in the resurrection, as 1 Thessalonians 4 plainly says. Paul writes about the resurrection that we would not sorrow as those which have no hope. Our hope is because Christ shall come again and we will be raised from the dead. This passage on hope versus hopelessness, Romans 8, the latter part of Romans 7, culminates into some of the most beautiful and powerful language in the Bible regarding God's work in our lives. It is outright wonderful, and we would be wise to commit this to memory. First of all, we have hope, and this hope delivers us in affliction, because the Spirit makes groanings which cannot be uttered. The Son hears these groanings, and the Son intercedes to the Father, who hears the Son, and He answers. Notice this in verse 26. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts, that is Christ, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That is intercession to the Father according to the will of the Father. And so... God the Spirit makes groanings, God the Son hears them, and makes petitions, intercessions to the Father according to the will of God. There you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together in our own lives, and that ought to give us hope, and that hope delivers us. That is referring to God being with you here in this present world, in your life. And then second, the same three-in-one God who works for us in our lives has also worked with regards to eternity, as you read in the verses following. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, God the Father predestinated us, them he also called, God the Spirit called us, and whom he called, them he also justified, God the Son justified us upon the cross. There you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working on our behalf as it relates to our deliverance from sin. Therefore, you and I will be glorified, brought to a place where the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now, remember our subject, hope versus hopelessness? Child of grace, you have a reason to hope, and that hope will save you in moments of despair. God has worked in your life. He is working in your life. He will work in your life, both here and as it relates to your eternal state. Notice now how this passage ends. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? 
as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Knowing the full depth of all that God has done, you and I ought to have hope, an earnest expectation. This hope quite literally is the means of deliverance in the midst of our affliction. We are saved from sorrow above measure through the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.